Good morning. Welcome to the third week of a series called The Story. And what we're doing with The Story is we're going, using as a guideline, a book called The Story, which takes the key stories of Scripture, the, the core ones, from Genesis to Revelation, and it uses those stories to reveal God's pursuit of a relationship with mankind. To get the most out of this series, you need to grab a copy of that out at the cafe today. It's called The Story. It's only five bucks. Also, if you're going along with us on this story, you can get on our website, lifepointchurch.com, front slash the story, and you can get a lot of resources there that will help you as we go through this series together. And if you miss any of the weeks, you can get the audio or the video on there as well. So we're in week three, and we are now about... 24 generations into the existence of people. Last week, we talked about a guy named Abraham. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. And Jacob had this son, Joseph. And that's who we're going to be talking about today. So Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now, going up the aisles. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. Ushers will give you one of those. That Bible is yours to keep if you would like to. If you'd like to borrow it and just read along with me today, you can do that as well. All the scriptures I read are from, uh, are also on the screen as well. Have you noticed that, who's going to watch football today? Who's watching football? Tell the truth, come on. Who watched football yesterday? Pretty awesome day, I guess, depending on who you are, but it, it looked like a good day for college football. But when you watch football this afternoon or next Saturday, here's what's going to happen. Some guy is going to make this awesome play. He is going to run 100 yards maybe. He's going to recover a fumble and run it in for a touchdown. He's going to catch this beautiful one-handed pass in the end zone. And he's going to dance and he's going to enjoy himself and everybody's going to be screaming, yelling. He's going to point up to heaven like, thank you God for throwing me that ball. I really appreciate it. Then the, afterwards, the the reporter's going to stick their microphone in front of him and say, how did it go? And he's going to say, he's going to name two people that you'd really like to think. One's always mama. Everybody thinks mama. Thank you, mama. Thank you. And I'd, think, I'd like to thank God. Or they'd say, I'd like to thank Jesus Christ for helping me win today. And that's most of the time when you see people winning and doing well, they like to express thanks to God for allowing them to win. I can remember Back when I was in college, there was uh, when Evander Holyfield won one of his fights, and he took out a full-page ad in USA Today and said, I would like to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for letting me win. And I thought, I wonder if he'd have done that if he would have lost. Would he have taken out a full-page ad and said, I would like to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for allowing me to be beat up last night. And the microphone's never put in front of the star player who lost and you don't hear them say, yeah, I lost because, you know, God wanted me to. Jesus really, uh, thank you, Jesus, for that loss. I appreciate it. Really needed that. You don't hear that because here's what we tend to think. God is with me when life is good. And then when things take a turn that we're not expecting in life, all of a sudden we start to ask the question, God, where are you? I felt you when it felt good. I felt you when I got the right girl, when I got the good job, when I got the loan. I felt you. I'm, I'm with you, God. I felt you right there with me, signing those papers, saying those vows, hearing all the good stuff. But God, then when things didn't go the way I planned and the way I wanted, where in the heck are you? Why didn't you show up? 
Here's a question. You need to write this down because I'm going to start with this and end with this today. What would I do if I was 100% sure God was with me all the time, through the good times and through the bad times? That's what we're going to be looking at in the life of this guy named Joseph, how God was with him all through his journey. We pick up his story in Genesis 37, beginning at verse 3. It says this, Now Israel, also called Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. Now Joseph, or, or Jacob, loved Joseph so much because he had him when he was old, but the mother of Joseph was Rachel, whom Jacob loved a lot. It loved her in so much he worked for her. His dad said, her dad said, look, you got to work for seven years. You got to do this. You gotta do this. He did everything. And then he ends up marrying the wrong girl. It's a whole other story. I don't have time to go into, but there, somebody played a trick on him and he ends up marrying her much less attractive sister. But later he finally got to marry Rachel. And the son that was born from that is Joseph. So he had waited all of these years to be with the woman he loved. And then when the son comes along, he loved him more. He loved him more than the brothers. It, like Christmas morning, he would get an iPad, uh, they would get socks. It was that kind of a relationship. Joseph always got the better end of the deal. So it caused his brother to hate him. So it says, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his dream to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And basically the dream was, hey, big brothers, I just want you to know that one day you're going to bow down before me. You are going to be on your knees in front of me. I'm going to have power, and I'm going to have influence and success, and you're going to be there right at my feet to get to enjoy all. They hated that. And so, because dad loved him more, because he's being arrogant, to them he's being arrogant, they decide, let's do something about this. So one day they're out in the fields working, and here comes Joseph in his really nice coat that his dad had got him, you know, maybe playing on his phone or listening to his songs on his iPod, and, and, and the brothers are like, there comes that kid that we can't, there comes that dreamer, our brother. So they start having this debate, should we kill him or should we sell him? One of those two. Now, I have older siblings. And they are, I like to remind them, they're quite a bit older than me. My brother, 11 plus years. My sister, 13 plus years older than me. My parents assured me that I was not an accident, although I'm not 100% sure of that. My brother and sister have names that they call me. Things like, you're the chosen one. It always works out for you. Yeah, I didn't get one of those when I was that age. Enjoy. Now, I'm sure they never thought of killing me. Now, they probably did think if they could get a good amount for me on the open market, maybe they would sell me. But that's what these brothers are debating. Should we kill him, wipe him off the face of the earth, or should we sell him? And so they can't decide, so they just throw him in this dry well, and they talk about it over lunch. And part, some of the brothers are saying, let's kill him, let's kill him. Another one, was specifically one brother, is like, no, 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 we can't do that. We, we can't kill him. I mean, he's our brother. So here's what happened. Genesis 37 verse 27 says, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. And so that's what they did. They sold their brother 
into slavery. And they came up with this story, what are we going to tell dad? Let's take that real nice coat dad got him that we don't have. Let's spread lamb's blood all over it. And let's tell dad he was eaten by a wild animal. And that's what they did. So his dad, Jacob, thought Joseph had been killed in the wild. And he mourned his death. But that's not at all what's going on in Joseph's life. And we pick up more in chapter 39 of what's going on with Joseph. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So here's Joseph in a strange land, far away from home, strange people. He's now a slave, and he has every reason to start to get upset. He has every reason to complain because one day life is going great. He's the favorite kid of the family. He's getting all the cool stuff, and the next day he's a slave to an Egyptian master. Now, slavery back then was a little bit different, a lot different, actually, than we would think of today. When I say slavery to this group, we think it's something racial. But then it wasn't necessarily a racial thing. It was if you owed somebody money, you could go become their slave and work it off. If you were in a country that was defeated by another country, they could take all the citizens and make them slaves of another country. If you really messed up bad and you did something you shouldn't do, you could become somebody's slave. So anybody could find themselves in slavery in that culture. And here's Joseph, a slave who had these big plans to be successful, whom God had revealed to him that was going to be the case. He thought he was going to be a leader. He thought big stuff was going to happen in his life. And now he's in a situation where he has every reason to whine and complain and bicker and ask the question, where is God? It was clear God was with him when he was dreaming and he was telling his brothers what God was going to do. But now he has every reason to feel like, well, where's God? He left me. He's not even around. Why is he silent? Why is he not present? And you may have come here today with the same kind of feelings. Maybe you had some big plans for your career, some big plans for your marriage, some big plans for your kids, and something happened and it just immediately got turned around and heads off in another direction and goes immediately where you didn't think it would go. You haven't gotten to where you wanted to be at this point in life. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody hurt you. And that's when we find ourselves asking the big question, where is, where is God and why hasn't he shown up? And Joseph had every reason to feel abandoned by him. But listen what it says later in verse 39. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Now, this is a big deal to be the attendant of the master. It's like you're the most trusted slave. He's trusting you with everything in his household. In the middle of all these bad circumstances, of things going the way Joseph didn't want them to go, of him having every reason to be upset, his master says, hey, it looks like the Lord's with you, so I trust you, so you take care of my house. So God at any time could have removed all the bad circumstances from his life, but he didn't. If you're taking notes, write this down. God is with me even when life gets hard. See, we tend to think God is with me when I'm getting everything that I want. 
God is, I got the promotion. Yay, God, thank you. I got turned down. God, where are you? Why aren't you coming through for me? I wanted to get the job, and, and I got it. God, thank you. Thank you, God. I really wanted that. I'm sorry we chose somebody else. God, where are you? Why aren't you working in my life? You pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you hope that the doctor's report is good, and all of whatever they saw was bad is gone, and you go in, and you find that out, and it's like, Thank you, God, for healing me. Thank you for delivering me from whatever could have happened in my life. But then you get the opposite news, and the first thing we think is, God, where are you? God, you were with me when I was making a lot of money and had security, and now I don't, and I'm not. Where are you? Everybody asks that question, especially when things don't go your way, when you've been hurt or mistreated or betrayed. And so Joseph is at a point where he could do that because really bad things have happened. So his choice is, is he going to become bitter or is he going to get on top of his circumstances even though things aren't working out the way he had planned? He stayed faithful to God. God was with him in this difficult time. And listen what happened. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was, was well-built and handsome. Now, if the Bible starts talking about somebody's build and their physical appearance, like, you know, Joseph was a really hot guy. That's what the Bible's saying. He was like, had the abs of somebody that's really dedicated to P90X or something like that. He probably had locks of flow, flowing locks of hair and all those women just, oh, when he's around because he's really good looking. So if the Bible starts talking about how good looking somebody is, something's getting ready to happen. So pay attention. <laughs> so he's well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, she's not asking him to take a nap in the middle of the day. She's asking what you think she's asking. Come have sex with me. Let's get it on. You're good looking. And Joseph said, no. He had a choice, though. He had a choice. He could choose to listen to her and say, okay, this will be a great story to tell back at the slave barracks when I'm there at night saying, guys, guess what happened to me today? Would you like to hear? Would you like to hear the details? That's one direction he could go. But he had another direction he could go, which was to say no, trust God, Allow God to continue to work in his life. And the story he would tell from that is, hey, I, I, I withstood the advances of, of Potiphar's wife. Now, the Bible doesn't say what she looked like. I mean, it might have been easier than we think. Maybe she wasn't very nice looking. I don't know. Most likely, if she's married to an Egyptian official, she was probably a very beautiful woman. So here's this beautiful woman, this good-looking guy, and she's continually coming on to him. And he's continually having to decide, am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? See, you can kind of just go be with Joseph for a minute. Things aren't going his way. Everything that he hoped for seems to be falling apart. It'd be really easy for him to say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'll go to bed with you. Nothing else has worked out for me. I need to get some enjoyment out of life, so why not? I deserve it. God was supposed to do all this. He didn't, so I deserve it. If you're taking notes, write this down and remember it. When things aren't going my way, it's easy to make the wrong decision. When life's not going the way you had hoped, it's really easy to justify the wrong decision. So things aren't well at home. The relationship, there's some tension. One person's not talking much to the other person. They're kind of cold. 
and shut out. And then there's this person at work who's really easy to talk to. You can share your feelings with. And before you know it, it's a full-on flirtatious relationship because, hey, I deserve for somebody to be in my life that I can talk to and I can share my life with. And those kind of feelings are the seeds that will lead to a horrible, horrible decision. Or guys in particular, things aren't great physically the way you'd like. Frequency's not like you would hope at home. The husband-wife relationship physically, intimately is strained. And so you wait till everybody else is in bed, you go get on the computer, and you go start looking at things and participating in things that you're just viewing that are a, a terrible distortion of what the male-female relationship should be. Hey, I haven't gotten my way, so it's okay to tell this little lie. If I just say this one little thing, just, just hedge these numbers a little bit, then everything's going to go better for me because, hey, I deserve it. Because things, especially now, things aren't going my way. So I deserve it. And it's so easy to step over that line and tell the wrong story when we're in a place that we feel like we're not supposed to be or we feel like we don't deserve. So Joseph obviously weighed the decisions and decided, I'm going to say no to this woman. I'm not going to do it. That's a great thing. Great job, Joseph. That's an awesome decision. And you would think God would say, Joseph, that is such a great decision. You are now free. You are no longer a slave. You said no to sin when you could have done it, and maybe nobody would have ever found out about it. You said no. Thank you, Joseph, for doing that. And then, because he didn't, she accused him of rape, and he gets thrown into prison, all for doing the right thing. It goes on to say, but while Joseph was there in prison, he was thrown in prison, the Lord was with him. So Joseph is in prison, the Lord's with him. You sensing, are you sensing a theme when Joseph is down? When things aren't going well, when it's not going as he hoped and expected, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he made him responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. He gave him success in whatever he did. So now, here he is in prison, and he recognizes the Lord's with him. And now, in prison, good things start to happen. Can good things happen in the middle of something horrible? Absolutely. The warden recognizes God is with this guy, and so he gives him more and more authority. And Joseph gets an opportunity. This is kind of like a federal prison, and like federal prisons even today, there's a lot of politicians in there. So Joseph gets an opportunity to get to know some politicians. There's two main politicians that he strikes up a relationship with. They have these dreams, and they're asking him to interpret their dreams. There was the guy that's the cupbearer for the king and the baker for the king. Now, the cupbearer was a very interesting person. The cupbearer was the guy that would eat or drink before the king did, just in case it was poison, so I mean, he was totally expendable. So the king would watch him, say, hey, try that. And if he, if he was okay, the king ate. If he keeled over, he said, give me another cupbearer and another plate of lunch, please. I don't want that. So this cupbearer guy had a very difficult job, and he had this dream. And then the baker, he was the king's baker, he had a dream. And Joseph says, okay, here's your dreams, Mr. Cupbearer. You're going to be freed in three days. Awesome, three days? Great. Thank you, Joseph. Mr. Baker, you're going to be executed in three days. 
you know, the baker's like, oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Is there anybody else would like to interpret my dream here? I don't like that one. But sure enough, three days go by, the, the cupbearer is freed. Three days go by, and the baker is executed. And so Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, I was right. Remember that? Remember I said it was going to happen. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah, you were right. Awesome. Well, can you remember me when you get out, when you're back in the king's presence, and you can you tell him about me? Oh, yeah, I'll remember you. I got you, buddy. I got you. Don't worry. You'll be out of here in no time. Two years go by. Genesis 40, verse 23 says, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And yet, God was with him? How could God be with somebody that all that bad stuff happens? It's like, come on, can't Joseph get a break? Joseph has to be thinking that. It was one thing. I just need one thing, God. Just, just let this guy remember me when he gets out of prison. You probably have stood before God and said, God, just one thing. I, I just want him, I want her to just go to counseling with me. Just one thing. I just want to get this, this promotion so I can pay for this. I just want to get this loan. I just want to start this business. God, just one thing. That's all I need. Just one. Come on, God, come through for me. And then he doesn't. Joseph just needed one thing. And it appears like God didn't come through. Now, I want, listen to this before you write this down. You're going to have to read it twice to, to get what I'm saying here. God is more concerned with what happens in me than what happens to me. Now, does God want bad things to happen to you? Of course not. But he's more concerned with what happens inside of me than what happens to me. See, there is a big problem in thinking, God just wants me to live this healthy and prosperous lifestyle. Now, that might be true in some cases. It may be true. If that were true in all cases, then everybody that followed Christ will live a healthy and prosperous physical lifestyle. Now, if you watch TV late enough at night and you surf channels, you will find a preacher that'll tell you, just accept Jesus and that Lexus is right around the corner. You know, just write me a check and you're going to get whatever you want. And life's going to be great. And they present this picture of God that everything's perfect, that you never have to go through a difficult time. But God is way more concerned with shaping your character than he is providing you with physical and material wants. And so Joseph is going through this character-shaping time. And if you've ever thought, well, because things aren't going well in life, it must mean that God's not with me and I can't grow and good things aren't happening to me, so I must be doing something wrong. Did you know that the church, historians tell us that the church in AD 100 had about 25,000 adherents. And then 200 years later, that had grown to about 20 million all in a culture that said, if, if you're a Christian, we will kill you. And it grew in 200 years that much. Just look at the church in China. If you're a history buff, you already know this. There was a leader came along about mid-century, last century, in the 19, late 1940s, early 1950s, and he outlawed religion. He outlawed Christianity. So the people who were leaders, Christian leaders, were executed. Churches were burned. Throats were cut. People were murdered all because they said they were followers of Christ. And then about 30-some years after that, they began to lift the ban and allow Christian missionaries under close supervision to go back into China. Now, when this started, 30-some years before that, there was, they believe, about 2 million 
people who would claim to follow Christ in China. So they thought, well, we go back in in the early 80s, we're, we're not going to be able to find anybody. There's not going to be anybody following Jesus because how could you? You could get killed for it. But what they found out when they went back into the country and they started to travel around, they found this underground church that had grown to 60 million plus. And the numbers today top 100 million people, all in an environment that is definitely not what people plan for. All in an environment where they don't have really cool screens and awesome kids ministry and a really awesome band and really cool chairs to sit in and a cool building to come to. Somehow, in the middle of all this difficult political climate, they have been able to grow and do it exponentially. And if the church can grow in that kind of difficulty, you can grow closer to God and understand that He's with you in some of the most difficult times in life. Hard times in life never means that God has abandoned you, ever. God can work no matter what the circumstances are. He could have pulled Joseph out at any time, but he didn't. And as we'll see, by the end of Joseph's story, he's able to look back and see how God used him. Have you ever done that? Like something's going on in life and, and, and you look back and you see, that, I thought that was bad at the time. That was awesome. Anybody ever had heart, been heartbroken? Just completely heartbroken. And you thought it was horrible. How could he do that to me? How could she do that to me? And then later, God sends somebody even better. And you're like, thank you. I'm glad that happened. That was awesome. But in the middle of it, when you're going through it, you're like, oh, this is awful. How could this happen to me? How could God allow this? It's horrible. God, you've abandoned me. You haven't given me the person I want, the job I want, the income I want, the car, the house, whatever that I want. But then when we look back, we can see things in a perspective that's a little bit closer to where God might have been working the entire time, even in the middle of our heartaches, developing our character, being more concerned with what happens in us than to us. In the C.S. Lewis book, The Great Divorce, he says this, Ah, the saved. What happens to them is best described as the opposite of a mirage. What seemed, when they entered into it, to be the veil of misery, turns out, when they look back, to have been a well. And where present experience saw only salt deserts, memory truthfully records that they were actually pools full of water. In other words, our view of what God wants can be too limited when we're in the middle of a difficult time. And that God is actually in the middle of our pain, in the middle of regret, in the middle of mistakes, that maybe something going on in our life we had no control over. In the middle of that, God is just in the background. He's working. He's back there. You might think he's silent, but he's up to something. If you have kids, especially more than one kid, you, you've done this. Kids are upstairs. They're making noise, they're playing, they're laughing, they're giggling, you hear toys moving around the floor, and then all of a sudden it gets silent. Then there's two options. One is they're asleep, which is almost never the case. And the other option is they're up to something. They're writing on the wall again. They're throwing toys in the toilet. They're doing something they're not supposed to be doing, right, usually with kids. But when God is silent, maybe he's in the background up to something, up to something bigger than you can have imagined preparing you for a future that only He can see. But what would you do 
if you knew 100% that God was with you like that. See, when God seems silent, don't assume that he's not working. Because he is. So this cupbearer finally remembers Joseph because the king has a dream. He has this dream and Joseph, he says, hey, I remember this guy in prison. Uh, it was two years ago. Oh, yeah, I told you I was going to tell him about him. He, he can interpret dreams. Let's get him. So they pull Joseph out of prison. He comes before the king and he interprets the dream, which is our country, this country is getting ready to experience severe famine and you better get prepared for it. And the king is so impressed with Joseph and his ability to interpret his dream, he puts him second in command, totally in charge of all this. And here's Joseph working second in command of Pharaoh himself. And so all the people from the outlying towns and cities have to come to beg for food and get food from the king, which gives the king even more power. And guess whose family shows up to Joseph to ask for food? His brothers. And now Joseph's faced with another choice. Does he say, Hey, there's a hole out back. Why don't let me, let me put you in that for a little while and you think about it. Or he could say, off with their heads. I'm done with them. And he, he, he is human, so if you read the story, he kind of plays with them, plays some mind games, makes them go back and forth so he can be assured his father's still alive. And then he reveals himself. I am Joseph. It's been 21 years. Look at me, brothers. Don't you recognize me? And they all of a sudden, their eyes are open. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're in trouble. So they fall to their knees and they start to beg him for forgiveness. And I wonder if they're thinking, didn't he dream that once? And they're begging him for forgiveness and they're thinking, we're dead, we're done. We totally messed up. Listen to what he says in Genesis 50. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That one statement reveals so much about Joseph's character. Through the betrayal, through the hurt, through the lies, through being falsely accused to people forgetting him, he lived with this awareness, what would I do if I knew God was with me, even if I don't feel he's with me? What would I do if I knew 100%? And that's how Joseph lived his life. And that's how he was able to get to this point and say, oh, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. So as you go today, that question, what would I do if I was 100% confident that God was with me? Do that. Write that question down. Get up in the morning and go, that's what I'm going to do. As if God were with me, even if I don't feel him. This episode, like so many other episodes in the Old Testament, it's really a foreshadowing to the New Testament. to When Jesus comes and fulfills so many prophecies in the Old Testament. But this is a foreshadowing when Joseph is before his brothers. And he's saying, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, and therefore lives are going to be saved because of it. And then Joseph was able to look back and connect all the dots. Well, a few thousand years later, God's son Jesus was on a hill being murdered for something he didn't do. And Satan thought, I got him. I'm finished. And the resurrected Jesus can say, oh, Satan, what you meant for evil. My father turns into something good because now all those people you want to control now have hope because of me. And it wasn't saving lives. It was saving souls. So Satan meant it for evil. The father meant it for good. And that's the foreshadowing of the story of Joseph all the way in to the time of Christ. So things don't go the way you planned. 
you're single and you didn't thought you would be, thought you'd be there. You're bankrupt and you never thought, what would you do? You're directionless, you don't know about the future. Listen to Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So can God work a very difficult situation into something good for those who love Him? Absolutely. Absolutely. Loving God and living His purpose. God will somehow take all the stuff we deal with and turn it into something good. So what would you do if you were 100% sure that God was with you? Think about your current situation and apply that. Let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing story of Joseph and how we see his faithfulness even when he didn't feel you, even when life was tough. May we learn from that and grow from it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.